This is The Boys Podcast on TV Podcast Industries, and we're talking about The Boys, Season 1, Episode 1, The Name of the Game. Welcome, boys and girls and everyone else. Thank you for joining us for the inaugural Boys Podcast. We are talking about The Boys, Season 1, Episode 1, The Name of the Game. And you are joining us here on TV Podcast Industries. I am one of your hosts, Chris. I'm one of your hosts, Derek, who cannot get the ABBA song out of his head. I'm one of your other hosts, John. Yes, thank you so much for joining us. We are TV Podcast Industries, and if you're joining us for the first time, Welcome. You are in for a wild ride as we review in depth The Boys, exclusively available on Amazon Prime. Mm -hmm. Yes, it is a good series and we can't wait to take this journey with you. If you are new to us, make sure you pop over to our website at tvpodcastindustries.com and you can subscribe on any good or bad boy podcast player if you like what you hear why not leave a voicemail you can leave 90 seconds to make sure your dulcet tones are on the podcast with us with your feedback of what you're thinking about each episode of the boys or why not send us your email feedback at feedback at tvpodcastindustries.com. And really importantly, if you've never joined TV Podcast Industries before, the way we cover our podcast is we cover one episode at a time on each of our shows that we cover. So this episode is all about The Boys, Season 1, Episode 1, The Name of the Game. If you've watched that episode, come join us. If you've watched anywhere past that episode, come join us as well. If you haven't watched episode one of season one of The Boys, we're going to be spoiling the hell out of it for the rest of this episode. So make sure you watch it and come back to us. Yes, so this get ready for a spoiler-filled discussion of everything The Boys, The Seven, and everything else in between. So, boys, let's jump into it. Uh, first of all, we always open with a bit of the episode details. Take it away, Mr. Derek. No problem at all. This comes from the awesome comic book series, The Boys, by Garth Ennis, uh, who is the comic book author. Um, he's been trying to get this going for years. He is the author of uh, many issues of Constantine and Preacher as well, which have both made it to the big screen. But we all know The Boys is one of the ones that he loves a lot and has, uh, has been one of the guiding forces behind this show. Uh, Eric Kripke has taken over the showrunner duties on this show. Um, he is the writer of this first episode as well, and he's a writer and producer of many, many shows Probably most notably, I don't think this will ever disappear. He's most notably the creator <laughs> of Supernatural. Uh, the show is finishing up in its 13th season this season, but he was only there for the first six seasons. He does still have a creator credit and he is still involved. Occasionally they go and ask him a little bit about the lore, but he was the creator of Supernatural and led that show for 13 years. So, gentlemen, we could be in for a long run on the boys. What do you think? Could be, but more importantly, he also did that very strange Jack Black film, The House with the Clock in the Walls. I've never seen that. <laughs> no, not many people have. It it was targeted at children as a like a, a young teen, like twelves film mm-hmm. and I randomly saw it on an on a flight. Right. It's actually pretty good. Interesting. You I was not expecting this. I do have a lot of respect for Cricky. You know, we have to say those first couple of seasons of Supernatural and at least half of almost every season that he was involved with were fascinating. They were really, really fun to watch. Really good uh, insight into the creepy characters that he was uh, that he was covering uh, over on those shows. So I pretty much kind of would watch anything that he does. Um, yeah, Supernatural's awesome. Uh, dare I say it in another master of horror. I'm its number one fan. 
<laughs> I'm going to Hobbless. Tie it to the bears and Hobbless. <laughs> oh, that is the creepiest misery impression that I think you've done on this podcast, Jan. <laughs> but this episode was directed by Dan Trachtenberg. Uh, he com- is a very notable director recently. He directed 10 Cloverfield Lane and did the season four episode of Black Mirror Playtest. A really cool episode, that one, where uh, he has the virtual reality headset. He thinks he's playing a game, but he's actually at war. Really, really fun episode. But... You guys may remember this because you're both gamers and you both love Portal. He really came to prominence when he created the the short viral video, uh, Portal No Escape, back in 2012. It's a seven-minute live-action short based on the video game where he has a portal gun in it and uh, his version of the character is walking through walls and escapes she thinks she escapes from the facility where the portal tests are taking over. So uh, it's a cool little video. Check it out if you haven't had the chance. Definitely worth seven minutes of your time. 100%. That is very cool. Yeah, yeah I, I loved this short when it came out. I don't know mm-hmm. how many times I've watched it. Uh, and mm-hmm. 10 Cloverfield Lane. I love the Cloverfield universe. Um, all of the good, the bad and ugly that comes with it. <laughs> it is still one of my favorites. And 10 Cloverfield Lane is right up there with number with the original for me as the best so far. Wow. Um, yeah, it's yeah. really interesting. And it's spe- his choice of direction and cinematography, what, mm-hmm. when I recently rewatched the whole kind of universe of Cloverfield, uh, not in preparation <laughs> for this, just because I felt like it. You can see a certain style he has, and it comes across actually yeah. in The Boys. Yeah, I definitely really enjoyed John Goodman's uh, performance in that in that movie, definitely. It was really interesting. Yeah, I must say, I, I really did kind of, uh, I certainly like Black Mirror and Cloverfield, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, but I, I do remember The Portal, No Escape, um, because there were, there were a series of them. I mean, I'm a massive Portal fan, yeah. but a massive... Um, Steam and Half-Life fan in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, around this time, there were a, a few kind of self-made shorts, kind of snippets or, or movies or yeah. whatever. Um, one was Half-Life 2, which was really good, down by a, a train yard. Oh, yeah. And then there was this one as yeah. well, uh, based with Portal. So, yeah, yeah very cool. Definitely very check cool. it out. I'm really pleased that someone has done something like that and is now directing... Uh, movies like this it, it really does show that uh, you know that kind of stuff can happen which oh, is really absolutely. cool yeah excellent excellent john well why don't you tell us what they gave us with your synopsis for the episode sure we huey campbell has his heart broken as his girlfriend robin has her heart lungs liver arms legs and head broken <laughs> or more precisely splattered by a freak curbside accident involving the faster than fast superhero a train in a world dominated by Vought International's collection of superheroes known as the Seven, Homelander, Queen Maeve, A-Train, The Deep, Black Noir, Translucent, and Lamplighter, Huey must struggle to come to terms with the death of Robin in a society that reveres these heroes. That is until CIA operative Billy Butcher shows up. Billy sheds light on the impunity in which the Seven operate and the danger to society of their massive egos and fame. Billy wants to recruit Huey. Initially reluctant to assist Billy, Huey is forced into an uneasy partnership when Billy saves him from the serial misogynist, perv, and all-round sex addict, Translucent. Meanwhile, high up at Vought International's headquarters, the week is working out mixed for the manager of the Seven, Madeline Stilwell. While she has managed to replace Lamplighter with a newer, fresher superhero called Starlight, 
A meeting with the mayor of Baltimore ends badly as he threatens to reveal Vought's secret compound V formula to the media. Later that day, high above the clouds in his private jet, the mayor of Baltimore thinks it's a bird, or is it a plane? No, it's the destructive laser beams of Homelander. <laughs> this is one of the most brutal shows I have seen <laughs> in a long, long time. I think you've done really well there, John, to keep a lot of the bloods and guts out of this and a lot of the cursing <laughs> out of this. We're going to try really hard to keep this a PG podcast. Uh, please bear with us. It's going to be quite difficult over the course of the number of episodes that we've got to, got to watch so far. <laughs> We're going to try hard, though. Yes, we are. Much like... The boys are trying hard to take down the seven. Mm. What's that? Look at that for a segue. Um, You're the segue master. Uh, yeah, I, I, I can literally zip around. Do, 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 do. <laughs> you lean forward and you glide effortlessly along. <laughs> there you go, yes. It looks effortless, but actually, in all fact, I've probably fallen off. I don't know how many segues. But if you are a long-time listener of TV Podcast Industries or any of our sister shows... Uh, we are changing things up for our coverage of the boys. Previously, we would have gone through what we all thought were the top five points of each episode, but we're shaking things up. You know, we're we're now into a bit a bit of a newer, different, more edgy uh, show. So we're going to do it a bit new, different, and edgy way of covering the show. Oh no, we sound like a teenage talk show on the <laughs> Channel Four. In the I 80s. know it's great. It's super. It's jazzy. I'm doing jazz hands. <laughs> Each of us have chosen our most interesting point, and we've kind of bucketed them into the boys' moment, the seven moment, and other outstanding moments from the episodes. So that's how we're going to cover mm-hmm. it going forward. Obviously, if you have any feedback or you have some better names for those moments, don't forget to give us a bit of feedback. You know you want to. You can pop mm-hmm. over to any of our social media channels or send us the feedback at the places we've already discussed. So, gentlemen, with all that brouhaha out of the way, let's get into it. Let's discuss yeah. the boys. Yeah, Chris, as you are the boys fanatic, you're the one that's read most of the comic books and you're the one that's pushed us towards this awesome series i'll already say that now uh, on amazon prime why don't you kick us off with your first moment the boys the protagonist moments what's your first big moment from the episode? for me it really was the introduction to we huey campbell and also his <laughs> goodbye to robin via that beautiful a train moment i'm not talking about the the locomotive well i suppose you could call it that but no for me mm-hmm. One of my biggest hopes, fears for this season was that portrayal of Huey Campbell. Um, mm-hmm. Now, in the comic books, he's his lookalike is Simon Pegg. Um, and obviously, we get a fantastic Simon Pegg cameo uh, as yeah. we Huey's father. And I was really happy to see that. Um, Garth Ennis actually is a huge fan of Simon Pegg, wrote the character of Huey like Simon Pegg. Uh, to the point mm. where Simon Pegg wrote the preface to Volume One of the Boys graphic novel. Um, yeah, yeah. So they, they, I wanted to make sure that they got this character right because he is mm-hmm. he he literally starts the the dead end job type uh, kind of character where he's just kind of listening through life. He has. Uh, he he kind of has a job. He's just going about it. It's a nine to five, but he has good there too. Uh, he has Robin. Absolutely, and it's really interesting that you say that he's based on Simon Pegg because back in you know back when he did Shaun of the Dead, the character in Shaun of the Dead works in an electronics superstore. Effectively, that's where he spends his days when he's not 
lying on the couch eating Cornettos. So I think it's quite cool that they changed the character. They moved him from Scotland, which is the original uh, creation of Huey, effectively. That's why he's called Wee Huey, because he speaks in a Scottish accent in the comic books. Um, but they've moved him over to America, made him American, and now he's working in an electronics store, pretty much wearing the outfit that Simon Pegg wore for the most of Shaun of the Dead. So, so some nods there, at least. You know, it's 10 years later now. Simon Pegg is way too old to play this really innocent uh, young character at the start of the show. So it's really cool they've done some nods to at least his career at the time. Yeah, but for me, what I really enjoyed is how compact they made this. In that mm-hmm. they showed you he was he was happy-ish, things are going well. We get the fantastic scene with Robin uh, where yeah. they're talking, they're joking. They're starting to say, I think I'm starting to like you. Kind of that the, they're having that discussion. And mm-hmm. for those of you who have read the comic books, the scene plays out slightly differently. And I was always thinking about how they would incorporate it into a, a, a cine play, into a screenplay. Mm-hmm. And I was so happy. This re- the, the scene where we say goodbye to Robin is, mm-hmm. is just, <laughs> it, it, it sets the tone completely for this season, which is absolutely snap of your fingers and things can disappear in a smear of goblets of blood. Oh yes, absolutely. I think it's one of the best entrances actually for a character ever. Um, and I think, and by that I mean Huey, obviously not Robin, um, although <laughs> it is pretty cool for, for Robin as well. This, I, I've been calling it the splattering of Robin. It's kind of like, you, you know those weird double yellow lines that you get in the UK, which are red? Mm-hmm. And having, you know, obviously got my uh, driving license and, uh, and so on, I actually can't, or I don't know if I even did remember uh, what, or why there are red double yellow lines mm-hmm. uh, rather than yellow double yellow lines, um, <laughs> as it were. But, um, yeah, she kind of could have uh, done a lot Creative of diffuse. double red lines yeah. or I double ha- red yellow lines. <laughs> um, I actually thought when when you said that the best intro to a character, I thought you meant A-Train's <laughs> intro because I think that's the best well, intro to any character all ever. All three. He ends off just covered in her blood. That's the first moment that you see of A-Train. Outside yeah. of one poster, I think. I, I think uh, all three. I, I think for Huey, mm-hmm. obviously, he is, I mean, at least from my side at the moment, he's the bigger character yeah. than A-Train. Yeah. He's the core Everything is revolving around him and what happens in this fleeting moment. So, like, it's it's perfect. Yeah. Um, you you know you um, you have all this talk about the future, which is um, sort of disintegrated before his eyes. As uh, yeah, I mean that shot where the blood drops just come in from the side and hit him. <laughs> <laughs> and then you see jaw bones and spinal columns oh. and intestines so all been de- and you just see the haze of of a train through that blood um and then he's just left there with the two hands exactly. he, that he's still holding so i mean it, i i do i i think it's one of the greatest entrances for a single character um ever but it also introduces a train and it also more importantly i think for a train it introduces the fact that certainly with what you know something's not quite right but about these seven yeah and um, there's something a little dodge that he would just oh i've got to go now i can't be here yeah. and it's like it's proper hit and run actually <laughs> um, <laughs> like, literally yeah. uh hit and run 
Absolutely. No, it's it's a really interesting intro, intro, as you say. It's one of those ones where you go, what the hell just happened? Did they just do that on television? I know you said, Chris, that this is changed from the comic book, and it absolutely is. The, the scene takes place at a fun yeah. fair uh, where they're... I think I think Huey's exchanging a wedding ring with or an engagement ring with yeah. her at the time and they start spinning around and kind of dancing and effectively it cuts to him holding her hands as her body has disintegrated. But that's something you can only do in comic books. You needed the dynamism of this moment to, to sell A-Train's speed effectively. It's Flash in this yes. universe speeding through someone unable to stop. Um, so it is It is a really interesting sell for the superpowers in here and a really interesting sell for the start of the series as well. Brutal. It, it, but that's the thing. That it sets, that is the word. It's brutal. It's heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. And it sets the tone for this season and this series. Yes. And it's really funny. <laughs> for the morbid with us, we all have that sense. We're like, hey. Absolutely. John, that was my boy's moment. What was your boy's moment of this episode? And for me, it's Billy Butcher. It's Carl Urban playing Billy Butcher. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I just love um, how he's played here. I love that he is described as the porn version of the Matrix. Yes. <laughs> with his kind of Hawaiian shirt, leather, the long leather jacket and, and the scruffy beard and hair kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's really, really good. I, I like the fact that you know, there's pure subterfuge from him. He's not in the CIA, but he's kind of of CIA level in that, you know, he's, 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 um, sort of giving Huey this yarn that he's in the CIA. You really root for, for Billy Butcher, but he is, you know, he's a bit of a rogue, really. Mm-hmm. Um, like he's using Huey a, a bit, you know, in, in the same way that Huey, probably has been used by an awful lot of people uh let you know at least by his uh electronic shop manager uh absolutely <laughs> um so and, and i kind of like that but i like that ultimately um that this guy you know he's not cia but he said he is but he he gives this view of um, the seven you know he taps into Huey's moment um, and really hooks him in I, I really like that moment uh, after they've just sort of planted the bug in, in the kind of uh, I was going to say conference center but it's not is it it's kind of like the seven's lair up in uh, well, yeah. up in the skyscraper but it's um, I, I really like the fact that uh, you know Huey's there kind of wanting to be his tech guy um, and in the end, it's like, no, no, I'll call you. And you think he's gone, but then he comes to the rescue at the end. Yeah. You know, really nicely done. And I, I think for me, it's just, you know, Carl Urban is fascinating. He plays Dr. McCoy in um, in the Star Trek films. Mm-hmm. And I just love how he is so different from that. He, he has a real nice... Uh, way with words you know what's the big Huey's asking about his his accent and all this kind of stuff and you know he's kind of like well I can be here the big green monster in in the in the bay out there uh that's my pass here effectively uh speaking of the Statue of Liberty and Mm -hmm. stuff so I I I just you know this is my first introduction I've I've never read the boys um I obviously know Garth Ennis um and all that, but mm-hmm. I know of the boys, but I, I've never read it, so I really enjoyed this character. He's that kind of lovable rogue, really. I suspect he will um, break the heart of Huey along the way to, uh, <laughs> in future episodes, yeah. but ultimately probably will come good. Um, I might have to eat my words there, but uh, I, I really enjoy 
uh, seeing Carl Urban as Billy here. Absolutely. Carl Urban just is one of those kind of chameleons in acting. Like, you know, he, he started out his career, as far as I know, from the first big movie that I saw him in. He was in Lord of the Rings as Eamor, uh, one of the horse riders. So he's got this big heroic presence. And then we've seen him in Dread. And we've seen him, as you mentioned, John, we've seen him in Star Trek since then, you know. And every performance, it's like, is that the same guy? Oh, that's Carl Urban. That's that guy, you know. And then in this, again, he's just this really abrasive character. I love that intro that we get to him here, where he's looking at the teddy bear with the camera in it saying <laughs> yeah. um because of one woman shaking a baby and killing it this has caused bil- a billion dollar industry of fear <laughs> to be built up and we've all made so much money out of it effectively just kind of showing you the character that he is you know it's a lovely little one-line intro to the character showing how brutal he is that he's willing to make money off this kind of stuff you know um it's really cool for me my first introduction proper yes the lord of the rings and star trek he's judge dread in the reboot for me. Mm-hmm. Um, was, uh, yeah. So another well-known comic book character. And like you said, Derek, he's a bit of a comedian. So mm-hmm. for me, I when I see him as Butcher, I see him as Judge Dredd. And then in a later scene, the, he has that cheeky smile that's McCoy. Mm-hmm. Now, Lord of the Rings, I'm sorry for any of Lord of the Rings fans. I'm a book fan versus movie fan i know i know not there's a massive difference but i always picture them differently in my head versus what mm-hmm. was portrayed on screen uh it, it so not all not all of the films clicked for me but anyway that's it, all right you won't be on our, our lord of the rings podcast when the series comes out on amazon prime yeah it's all right <laughs> you know because it's all it's going to be much like the films of peter jackson it's going to be like mm-hmm. thirteen thousand hours long <laughs> exactly what we want but anyway so john great introduction you're right but Derek, yeah. what was your The Boys moment? Well, the good thing here is my Boys moment uh, is also about Billy. <laughs> I love Huey, I love the introduction of the character, but we only really have two major characters here from The Boys, really. It's, it's Billy and Huey. And I love Billy's introduction to the different world, the kind of offset into what Huey thinks is going on. Remember, Huey is effectively like the kids that we see right at the start of this TV show. The two kids that are battling over, you know, which superhero is the best. That's kind of the way Huey grew up in this world and we have this reveal effectively there's something going on behind everything that he thinks is happening and that reveal is this weird wonderful moment in the club that billy gets into kind of saying he's a cop but not really he's definitely in some kind of enforcement is what we learn as the episode goes on but this moment when they're walking through the club and we see the high-flying sex going on overhead and at that moment you suddenly see huey going what is this place like what is the world like i've never seen anything like this and this reveal that there is this one place that every one of the supers comes to to explore who they really are without the eyes of the media around we have ezekiel the guy who's capes for christ but actually he's the guy in a, in a man which as he's explained by billy <laughs> he's uh, he's having sex with three guys at the same time you know <laughs> uh, it's, it's really really interesting this thing that's going on and this is how billy's twisting Huey to his thoughts. He's effectively got this video of a train there the previous night laughing about the death of his girlfriend. You know, the one thing that Huey didn't want to see, he's got it on video right there, right in his face going... (laughs) Now you've seen what these guys are really like. Now I need to use you for this mission. Absolutely. And we also get to see something that certainly wasn't shown in the Ant-Man movies, (laughs) uh, which was quite frankly uh, phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Um, I never thought that there would be anything 
like that on TV. Yep. Um, so it just shows how things have moved on. Well, remember the rumours coming up to the end of Endgame, to Avengers Endgame, where everybody thought that Ant-Man was going to do something quite similar to this in the Marvel <laughs> Universe. So it's not too far of a stretch for a lot of fans, I suppose. <laughs> yeah, I love this. The, this. This introduction to the different world for me is one of the reasons I'm drawn to the comic books of The Boys. Because mm-hmm. you get... It's questions you always kind of asked as you grow up with comics going but what if they weren't good what if they were, yeah. weren't villains what if they were just normal peoples with normal kind of wants and needs and desires but had mm-hmm. superpowers what would happen um and it's been explored in other comic books like rising stars and things like that yeah absolutely and most famously in watchmen probably would be the biggest yes. uh, moment of what if the good guys were bad and who watches the watchmen yes. effectively is where the phrase has been used most often well. um but for me the, the I, I never thought I'd see this on screen, like this in like the, the the angelical superhero in the Manwich. Like it's just so funny to to watch, <laughs> uh, and it's like Mister Fantastic. You kind of go, "What if I was that stretchy? Um, <laughs> what would I do?" Anyway, it, it was. It's just quite. It, it's quite an interesting kind of piece, but. I think that kind of wraps up our, our, our boys' moments. Let's move it on mm-hmm. to our seven moments. So I'm yeah. going to kick this one off, if you don't mind, because mm-hmm. I love me a good bit of music. We've talked about, in some of our previous coverage of other shows, I, I call it the Netflix moment, um, but this is it's more of a streaming service moment, where the yeah. ending is so delicious it just makes you want to kind of forget about that kind of clicking off and you just need to binge to the next um and my god do they give us that with i'm a passenger where we like we get this beautiful scene poor steve from uh, baltimore Mm -hmm. and his final flight with his child his son who is a massive homelander fan meeting his 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 hero Meeting the Homelander, who's outside a plane and cuts his plane in half. Yeah. The the fact that Homelander has the audacity to wave to the kid (laughs) and give him that final moment of, yeah, hi, it's me, is hilarious. What I did notice on the second watch is when Steve is having that meeting with the manager of the Seven, having that conversation with her about the fact that he does know what Compound V is, you actually see Homelander fly by the window in the background. I think that's where he's picked up and he knows about the fact that he knows about it. It's either that or the manager has sent Homelander off to kill yeah. Steve. Um, but that feels quite interesting. And I suppose the other piece that's picked out from this episode, in my point about Billy in the club, he actually says that Homelander is the only one that stands above everybody else. He's not into drugs. He's not into drink. He's never been caught doing anything. He's never been seen doing anything bad. And at the end, by the end of this episode, you see Homelander turn and kill, effectively, everybody on this flight. Well, that's it. It's kind of, that was it for me as well. Um, it's, is Homelander acting alone or is he there at the request of Madeline Stilwell? Mm. Uh, because you have that phone call, uh, that she makes to him saying, look, she will drop the price. You know, they, they will get a uh, Nubian prince in Baltimore, mm-hmm. uh, to, to fight the crime, uh, and be there. So it, it's interesting. I suppose that will come out later, you know, and I suppose for me, it's there going, you know, are these seven 
is it just because they're bad people and they've been corrupted by the fame and you know it, it's like celebrities that mm-hmm. they everything is cornered off by them they're surrounded by their pr bubble their their personal this their personal that mm. that it's like reality is divorced and they think that they can do certain things you know you, you see those moments caught on camera is it just simply that's what's happening here but it's times you know 20 yeah. because they're superheroes or is it this more maybe um you know nefarious plot going on through uh vault in international yeah so for me the reason this moment stands out is the homelander as you said is standing above all so he he is our allegory for superman truth justice and the american way the vault way um he really is the symbol of the seven he is the mm-hmm. one who, as you said, stands above. He's he's just, yeah. he's the good guy. But And we are introducing him within the first 60 seconds of this episode. And Absolutely. we see him as the good guy. And then right at the end, it's like, oh, well, he's also a killer. Yeah, exactly. And I think even Starlight describes him as she, she can't be attracted to him because he's like Jesus. He's like Christ yeah. figure for everybody in the world. He is their savior, effectively, who's down here saving everybody around him and we see him like this already within the end of the first episode so really intrigued to see what's going to happen with this character as we go through these episodes yeah no definitely uh john what is your seven moment my seven moment is translucent man um as i say the 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 pervy um the pervy superhero um whose name doesn't even mean invisible just semi-transparent yeah I um, love you know <laughs> anybody who criticizes the way other people form sentences together uh, as as kind of a mechanism to throw them off their game like Billy does it just really endears me to them immediately I love that that's his criticism while they're in the fight you know you'd expect something you know take this translucent man you'd, you'd expect that kind of moment it's like you're not even good at English you know? yeah <laughs> what I are mean you, doing? you know this is a guy that hangs around the mixed toilets mm-hmm. I mean I presume he's not going out opening schools or you know pet rescue places not you know um is he doing this kind of stuff given he's effectively perving his way uh, at uh, vault international uh, in the toilets you see um uh, certainly um a fair amount of garden going on at, at one point uh, i think that is that in the 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 club where they go up or is it back at, at work it's, so it's in the toilet when, mean, he's, when he's spying on both of the female characters in the bathroom he's just completely naked and he comes back and yes he definitely needs to do a little bit of so i mean i presume hr don't fire him because if they did they would be thrown out the window uh, well, exactly. But I, I really did like um, just the obsceneness of Translucent Man and the fact that Huey, um, in the end, manages to uh, electrocute him up the ass. Or it seems that it's up the ass. Anyway, uh, I thought that was... I thought the fight as well was awesome between him and Billy mm-hmm. uh, in the electronic shop. Just getting um billy spitting the blood at him so he can see where he is yeah. like doing it on his his fists in his face and mm-hmm. so on really good but yeah wow translucent man 
Is it Translucent Man or is it just Translucent? Trans- just Translucent, I think. I keep calling him Translucent Man. Yeah, it's, it seems like it's almost like a shortening of his name when everybody calls him Translucent because he could be Translucent Man and everybody just calls him Translucent, yeah. I guess. It's one of those things. But as you say about the creepiness of him, there so is creepy. even that moment in the interview with Jimmy Fallon where he introduces him as the guy that saved that beautiful single woman and her two kids and you're kind of going, was he in the house spying on that woman and she got attacked and then he saved her? Is that... Like, if you read into it slightly more than what's guiding into the headlines, is he just that much of a creep and he happens to be in the area when things are happening, you know, because he's spying on young ladies, uh, you know, in in their houses alone, you know? Uh, And that's kind of what it feels like. Yeah, 100%. So this was actually my other moment. This is the the, the shocking end of the Translucent Man. Um, Mm -hmm. And just the fact that it's Jimmy Fallon that saves the day. Like Jimmy Fallon, that's he, never no, literally. I'm sorry, Jimmy, if you're listening to this. Actually, did that happen in Jurassic World? Wasn't he the one that gave them the information on the videos in Jurassic World? And it was Jimmy Fallon doing some funny sketches, and they actually got some information out of that that helped them, uh, helped them, the boys save their lives. So maybe Jimmy Jimmy Fallon is the savior that we're all looking for. Oh my God! Well, I don't think so. <laughs> in movies, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. His his own management and PR company are obviously doing a very good job of the parts they're getting. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But for me, this is the, the, the fun other moment because, as you say, the Translucent Man, his whole shtick is that he can turn invisible but or mm-hmm. at least semi-translucent. Um, but he's also got, <laughs> uh, he's got super durability. So the yeah. whole bit of where, this is where Wee Huey shows his, uh, shows his, his chops because he's able to divine that electricity through the carbon of his skin conducts the electricity. And it really, it's just like, you don't expect the end of one of your, your bad guys, or at least one of the seven heroes Mm -hmm. to be done in such a way. Yeah, that was it. It was really shocking that he actually, you know, I, well, I presume that he's dead here, that right. he's being killed with the um, the electrocution, because um, <laughs> it's just where it was placed as well. But nonetheless, uh, I'll stop kind of trying to imagine that, because it's just like, it. it's like, you know, it hit his, his skin, which is kind of like a metallic fiber or, mm-hmm. or something, carbon, I'd say. And, um, but like then... The was carbon-based, yeah. <laughs> but then, you know... He is a superhero. So I was really shocked that, uh, yeah, as you say, that he's dispatched in, in this manner. So, no, yeah. John, he was really shocked he was dispatched in that manner. <laughs> Look, I couldn't keep it going for any long. I'm sorry. <laughs> the, one th- the, the, the piece I'll end on uh, on this uh, and the translucent man is the, the I loved how they actually showed the fight in that mm-hmm. blood. Yeah. Just Carl Urban or Ty Butcher spitting his yeah, own blood yeah. onto him because you're always like oh yeah make it rain or get some paint or mm-hmm. dust and butcher's just like yeah, yeah. <laughs> that'll work <laughs> he's taking a proper breathing from um, him as well this guy's pretty strong um and he also has the fact that he's effectively invis- invisible on his side you know so it takes billy who seems to also be a pretty good brawler it takes him an extra moment to kind of readjust himself to translucent that yeah absolutely yeah. I've just got one other point on the on the seven before we move on to the rest of the 
outstanding moments for the episode. Um, we haven't actually talked about Starlight very much, and this is as much her episode as it is Huey's episode, really. Um, the bit I had pulled out of it really is just the Deep being a low-down scumbag in the episode is just such a big moment because you have this wonderful new superhero, and it kind of speaks to what you were asking about earlier on, John, are all of these people corrupt? And it feels like she is exactly the same place as every one of these guys were before they arrived into the Seven. And then they get corrupted as they get in the doors, effectively. This moment with the Deep twisting the fact that she wasn't a massive fan of Homelander. She was a massive fan of his. She had a little bit of a schoolgirl crush on him when she was younger and had a poster of the Deep on her wall in her bedroom kind of thing. And instantly he takes his pants down and waits to be serviced by her as if this is just what gets done immediately when he comes in. And when she doesn't go for it immediately, he says... Well, I'm the number two. Yeah. I'm second in charge here. And if you don't do this, then you're out. You're what done. creep. It's absolute creep. On that moment in particular, I, that that's straight from mm-hmm. the comic books. And I was adamant in my head because I, 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 I managed to sit down with my wife to, to, to watch this with her. And when I was explaining to her what the comic book was about, it was like, there's this one scene, for yeah. example. And I explained the scene. I was like, they're never going to put yeah. that in. Because you can't do that. And they mm-hmm. did. And I was shocked because it it really, it wasn't done in a corny way. It wasn't done in a, a comical way. It was done as it was in the comic books, in the shocking, just, oh my God yeah. moment. Yeah. And especially, as you say, like Starlight Star Bright. Oh, Madonna. <laughs> Annie is... She really does have stars in her eyes about this whole joining the seven, yeah. being called up to the big mm-hmm. leagues, and this crushing moment for this character. It's just, as you said, low down scumbag. Yeah. It's just crazy that they they did it the way that they did it, and I'm so happy. Obviously, not for the character, but just for the the truth to the the, the comic yeah. books, because it really sets the scene for the audience or the reader, depending on how you're consuming it. This world is not all roses. Mm-hmm. This is definitely uh, this is a gritty, realistic world. Even if the rest of the episode hadn't kind of brought that to your attention. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was. I have to say, initially, I was slightly distracted. I don't know whether that's the right word by the production design, um, in in the sense that um, they did choose that he would have, uh, you know, a speedo outline mm-hmm. uh, on those two duck eggs, <laughs> and uh, I must say, I was like. I suppose the one thing I need to know is if this is in the comic book, did he have a thong tan line as well? <laughs> I do not remember. So we need to know, fellow boys and girls, uh, about uh, whether there was um, yeah some good artwork in, in the comic and whether it matched up with the TV. <laughs> we'll have to check that out. But it is this really disastrous moment i suppose for the character of starlight i, I kind of like how it builds up to us you know she's gone through this wonderful days where you know she's been brought to new york or the whole city is out waiting for her to arrive she joins the seven is brought on there by the one that she likes most really of the group uh, and then you know as she learns more and more you know she's moved from having just this ham radio effectively that she's been listening into in her hometown and now she's got access to all this computer equipment and then she has this guy who effectively is saying to her, well, your options here are either you sleep with me or you go home. And he twists everything to his advantage. She defends herself effectively and all of the TVs behind her blow up. And he he turns that to his advantage, saying, well, if you say to anybody what I said to you, 
I'll say you attacked. I'll say you went psycho and you attacked. And they're going to believe me because I'm number two here. You know, he is number two. The other definition of number two. I absolutely despise this character. So uh, hopefully we'll see a lot less of him in future. <laughs> but it is a massive moment for the character in the show. And it's it's what leads um, effectively our two main characters, Huey and Starlight, to meet each other at the end of the episode. So it's a big moment. Yeah, I think um, if we move on to other outstanding moments, mm-hmm. um, certainly it links into to this whole thing with, with Starlight. Um, I, I thought there was some really good um, editing and, and uh, direction here. Uh, I, I really like... I, I, I kind of called it in my notes Happy Sad because the intercut here, um, you know, Huey absolutely grief-stricken with the death of Robin, Mm -hmm. with Starlight, um, Annie, uh, being absolutely happy for getting the job with uh, Vought Industries. You know, you see her and her mum getting the phone call whilst Huey is there, um, you know, effectively... It's kind of two scenes, effectively him being told sign this non-disclosure agreement Mm -hmm. and here's a check for 45 grand to then with his dad, where his dad's like going, yeah, you might want to take them to court, get a lawyer, but you're not going to do any of that. You know, just sign the NDA. And it's kind of like this chalk and cheese. And then you later on, you come to the park bench where both of them meet, as you say. And it is that... Huey is somehow in a more positive space here. Uh, she is the one that's just had this whole uh, run in with the deep. And, and even with Queen Maeve, who effectively says, you know, just don't let them see that you're weak or don't let them see this vulnerability yeah. or the tears, you know, spruce yourself up kind of thing. So, like, absolutely no help there for, for Annie. Um, but, you know, on the park bench, you you have this kind of reversal. I, I suppose they're both still kind of sad, yeah, yeah. Uh, but Huey is this more positive influence on Starlight. Um, you know, are you a fighter? Well, pick yourself up like Robin used to do on the ice rink um, and go back at it yeah. and that's fine you, you you're allowed to fall down and, and pick yourself back up in work in play in life and all this kind of thing and so you have this really nice moment and i, I think the intercutting uh, of starlight being happy and huey being sad at the start and then with the park bench i think there's some really good contrasts between uh, these two characters yeah. i mean i don't know again but i suppose or i presume that they are going to be a little bit more intertwined uh, moving forward mm-hmm. uh, that starlight will be uh, in effect robin's replacement but uh, i don't know maybe maybe yeah it'll be interesting to see what happens with the two of them in the future i just i do like placing the two of them side by side not knowing what's going on in each other's lives and having that conversation that kind of they've effectively just put into screen that old phrase of a problem shared is a problem halved. They don't actually know what each other's problems are, but both of them solve them just by talking to each other. I think that's a really, yeah. a really nice moment in, you know, it's a comedy. There's definitely some dark comedy in this show, but it's a dark show overall. So it's nice to have a bit of a light moment there between the two of them. Exactly. I think that's the one thing that Garth Ennis is writing. And in this case, the, the kind of translation of that by Eric, mm-hmm. uh, they, they are able to take those, those kind of like you said more comedic light moments and intersperse them in such a way that it's not just constant assault 
by visual or verbal or dark moments mm-hmm. um, that they are able to put in this levity probably might be too too big of a word but just moments like you said maybe dark comedy like it's just it's a nice change of yeah, pace yeah. probably Absolutely. but Derek what is your other moment? Uh, my other moment just really is to call out the, the corporate nature of the seven because it's right there right from the beginning when Queen Maeve and Homelander are saving the uh, or stopping the bank robbers and saving the two kids and then they just stop at the end and hang around for a while for their selfies effectively which is a contractual obligation it seems for them to do after every single robbery that they stopped or every single uh, crime that they stopped from happening that they have to build in some time to spend at the public to keep the brand alive effectively then you have this moment where um where Madeline Stilwell is standing in front of all the shareholders and it's like what's the what's it called D23 isn't it the Disney presentation where they yeah. do their do their talk to their adoring public who are also effectively shareholders in their business because everybody gets something in that relationship you know and they she's talked talk to this huge crowd about you know having an extra couple of percentage points on uh, on their and gains in their profits this this month because their movie has made 1.7 billion you know this is absolutely now. It may not have been when it was written. This is absolutely talking about Disney and Marvel's relationship and all of those superhero relationships that are going on and making billions for a corporate entity who keeps telling their fans they're giving back to them. I love that they've done this little allegory in here in this tiny little superhero show over on Amazon Prime that has no connection. It's exactly what happened back in the day when they were making this book talking about Justice League, talking about Superman and Batman and all of those characters and flipping it on its head. That's what they're doing here with having this corporate entity like Disney incorporated into the show under Vault Industry. So I love that they've brought it up to date effectively and very realistically, I think. Well, I think that's, yeah, exactly. And you have the moment of Huey in the like local corner shop or convenience store mm-hmm. where everything's A-Train. The ironic like, convenience absolutely store. Absolutely everything. You <laughs> cannot get away from A-Train. Even if he took the money to, to sign an NDA to say, I will never ever speak about this, he has to now face it everywhere. The, the energy drink is A-Train, the cereal is A-Train, there's a poster outside for A-Train, there's you know big yeah. events coming up featuring A-Train, there's loads of stuff going on all about A-Train, so he couldn't possibly get away from it. And Starlight kind of has that as well a bit, you know, when she comes in for the first time to be passed of the seven were they're talking about you know ip infringements oh, yeah. and all this kind of stuff how much piracy, how much piracy is being uh yeah exactly yeah. so yeah it's it's a nice little um sort of critique i suppose mm-hmm. yeah yeah so for me I, I i can't agree more it was just seeing the the the, the slideshow presentation mm-hmm. um and in on the background as mallory talks it's just it was brilliant and you're right this was written years before a lot of this was done it was allegory for a lot of other Mm -hmm. things uh, in the comic books industry that was happening and they've managed to update it in a way that is important yeah uh, that resonates it resonates definitely yeah yeah i can see i can definitely see that and it's it's an image comics imprint isn't it Yes. Um, so it's not connected with any of the major corporations, which is, you know, again, even if it was just down at the time to be the comics industry of Marvel and DC on, on one side and everybody else on the other side, effectively, it, it works at the time as well. So I uh, definitely wanted to point that out as kind of a big moment in the show because we've got loads to explore, I think, with, with FOSS Industries. I think there's a big corporate entity here that we're going to see a lot of the layers of as we go through uh, the rest of this season. I think that's everybody's outstanding moments, Chris. I know you mentioned yours already with uh, with the other points. Uh, do we have any notes on yeah. the episode that we want to talk about? 
So the first thing I want to bring up is Compound V. Mm. It's mentioned in the very quick scene in the office between Madeline and uh, Steve, the mm-hmm. mayor of uh, Baltimore. He knows about Compound V. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a very important part of the uh, comic books. Right. And I'm very interested to see where they go with this. Mm-hmm. I don't want to spoil it. I'm not going to go into the details Please what don't. it is. <laughs> uh, no, because, no, but it's just... Watch this space, I think, is the best thing. Keep your eyes open for the compound. Yeah. So just watch this space. It's quite a good one. Okay, cool. Excellent. Uh, Anything else that you want to quickly point out on the notes? So, yeah, the only thing I have uh, is, does Billy actually have a dog? Because he is asked the question, Mm -hmm. do you have a dog? And there is a camera shot to um, a dog's toy on the back seat of his car. Yeah. Uh, So I... Does he have a dog? In is my books, question. The first page of the first issue of the comic books is your introduction to Billy Butcher, and he's sitting in a park with his awesome British bulldog, and I love his bulldog in the opening scene. I'm going to have to lend to that comic book, John, so you can see what, yeah. what the bulldog's introduction is. Chris, you may remember that one. It's absolutely hilarious. So, so yes, in the comic books he does. I don't know whether this is just a reference to the fact that he doesn't have a dog in the TV show, but he may have in the past, but I would hope we're going to get to see his gorgeous white bulldog uh, in the future be very cool and um, a couple of other notes from me uh, little jessica jones reunion we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about this because we covered jessica jones for three entire seasons over on uh, defenders tv podcast part of tv podcast industries um Ashley, the PR agent, played by Colby Minifee, and Starlight, obviously played by Aaron Moriarty in the show. They were both major characters in season one of Jessica Jones. And interestingly, Aaron Moriarty, actually her intro uh, to the theme of Barracuda, uh, that was Jessica Jones. That was the season two trailer was to Barracuda as well. So just little references there. Aaron Moriarty was kind of the character that had to be saved by Jessica Jones in season one all the way through, you know, eight or nine episodes of that show. So it's interesting to see her now as the superhero in this show. Yeah, good stuff. Good call. Yeah, cool. And just to mention, I know you you had talked about it a little bit earlier on, but I like that touch of Billy's changeable accent in the show because it's not quite English, not quite Australian, not quite New Zealand. It's something that's not American. Uh, But he he explains it as, uh, can someone not move around? You know, (laughs) that that lady in the the, uh, ocean, as you said, Statue of Liberty gives me the option to not be from this country and also work here. So I think that's a nice little touch to say, he doesn't say what country he's actually from. He's just not from America. So you can explain his accent away pretty easily. So I like that. And I presume his reference to that big green monster, which he says about Lady Liberty, mm-hmm. is also a reference to Godzilla, maybe? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> or the Hulk, I don't know. <laughs> the or the Hulk, maybe. The yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, Chris, we have a new little area, I think, for you to discuss some kind of things about the comics and some stuff that hasn't made it to the show from the comic books. Can you take it, take it away and tell us about some stuff from the boys, the comics? Yes, audience, come join me in the corner. We're, we're going to the proverbial corner and Chris's corner, if you will. Imagine me in my big armchair with a big smoking pipe and my smoking jacket, a bit like Hugh Hefner. And I'm going to cross my legs and open up a big red book. This is Chris's corner. And as you said, I'm going to kind of take you through a bit of the history or a bit more detail that hasn't made the actual show but is important to the comic books or just stuff you to, to, to kind of check out. So this Chris's Corner episode, I'm going to talk to you about Translucent Man and Jack from Jupiter mm. and why I am talking about them. Well, actually, the Translucent Man is a completely made-for TV character. Mm. He isn't in the comic books. 
and actually in the comic books is a character called Jack from Jupiter. Mm. Um, now, they're not completely the same. Jack from Jupiter is actually their version of the Martian Manhunter. He's supposedly an alien who has changed, um, who has come to Earth to help, and he became one of the seven and helps them out. Right. Now, what they share is... The only kind of character traits that they share is really the super durability. Uh, they're both able to um, kind of change the density of their, their skin and it's kind of more, they're, they're pretty impervious. Um, the, the actual invisibility, if you will, is not shared. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and the difference then as well, is Jack can fly. So in the comic books, Jack's one of their flyers, and he carries a lot of their uh, non-flyers around. Right. Um, now, the story behind Jack is crazy, and it's actually tied to 9-11, okay. um, which is a big part of the comic books as mm. well. So could be one of the reasons they, they probably didn't want to bring him across. But also, everyone's kind of bored of aliens um, and trying to depict uh, a so-called Martian Manhunter or Jack from Jupiter, uh, green-skinned kind of <laughs> alien guy who can change his shape a bit and fly. It's probably there's a lot of CGI there. Yeah. Um. So as you finish all eight episodes of The Boys, make sure you pop back and check. Go down to your local comic book store and get volumes one, two, three of the boys the graphic novels and just really enjoy and start looking and that's why you won't see the translucent man you will find jack from jupiter this is the end i hope you've enjoyed chris's corner any questions for this podcast within a podcast it's really interesting you say that they wouldn't want to do that transformation of the of the martian and having him change shape and all that kind of stuff they have got some great corners that they cut with translucent man in this episode i love that moment when we get um, the passing uh, across all of the posters of each individual member of the seven and one of them is just the background and that just says yeah. translucent on it, which i think is hilarious i love that they use that as a little gag throughout the episode and it turns out that actually this guy is, is probably more creepy than the deep and he's the one that's almost takes out our hero in the first episode he's the one that almost kills huey and almost kills billy in this episode so um so he goes from being a nondescript background character that doesn't even get a poster with him actually on it. Did he turn up that day for the photographs? You don't really know. Does anybody? Um, but by the end of the episode, he turns out to be quite a big threat to our main characters. So it's cool. Thanks for that, Chris. 100%. And actually, Jack from Jupiter, one of the one of the reasons I feel they may not have used him is he is the heaviest drug user of all the characters right. in the seven. Going so far to... Um, basically take fluids from the other seven and cut that with his drugs okay and inject himself with that right um so really <laughs> graphic yeah. and it becomes a thing of his character so it's definitely a yeah it's another reason you're like hmm, okay maybe let's remove this one although or change it slightly that said this isn't a one-off series it's not guaranteed that these eight episodes are going to be the only uh, episodes of the boys that we'll see so we might actually see the character used in the future if they can get away with some of the stuff they're getting away with uh, in this first episode that <laughs> you never know what they'll be able to put on screen for the next season or maybe later on in the season we might see the character yeah. appear yeah let's wait and see yeah. so that was chris's corner thanks Chris. but gentlemen i think it's about time we wrap up our review mm-hmm. and in-depth discussion of the boys episode one the name of the game so john 
Do you defend this episode? I do defend this episode. Uh, I give this four and a half diving Ant-Men out of five. Or should that be <laughs> synchronized swimming? I don't know. Um, <laughs> yes, I I thought this was really good. I, so I've not read the comic and I really want to get into it actually uh, after seeing this episode. I thought it's irreverent. It's non-PC. Um, it it It's fast. It's quick-witted. It intersperses... Um, uber violence um, slightly uncomfortable scenes um, and some real moments of of fun but of uh, you know pr- good emotion really uh, I, I'm really enjoying uh, Wee Huey I think it, he's cast perfectly mm-hmm. um, it's really nice to see um, superheroes and the fame goes to their head like uh, any other celebrity who is pampered uh, their their own importance but it's kind of interwoven with corporate greed and corporate protection uh, so this is re- it's really interesting i i like the fact that you know billy butcher you know he's cia or is he is he the cops is he i mean as he says at the at the the club door well cops feds it's all the same, really. So, um, yeah, I'm still looking forward to seeing uh, who and, and what Billy Butcher is about uh, for sure. So I have to say I really enjoyed this. And again, um, I think the opening is just sheer brilliance. And a bit like with Jack from Jupiter, um, I would say they probably could introduce him now as a heavy drug user, certainly after we have our diving Ant-Man. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that if that is not testing audience reaction, um, then I don't know what is, because that is, quite frankly, a masterclass of irreverence uh, to have that. <laughs> I can imagine the merry white houses of this world, um, the alt-right, uh, the conservatives, you name it, uh, being fairly shocked at that. And thank goodness for that. <laughs> so definitely, I do defend this episode of The Boys. Excellent. Derek, what are your thoughts? Do you defend this episode? Oh, absolutely. This is magnificent. This is something I never thought I'd see on TV. We're in this really weird situation right now. San Diego Comic-Con is just about to kick off as we're recording this episode of The Boys. Uh, the episodes are going to be out on Amazon Prime as you're watching, obviously. The episodes are out now on Amazon Prime on the 28th of July. But this episode is going to air in San Diego. and It'll be the first real reaction from audiences. Oh, no. I'm really wondering what happens in Hall H when you play this to an audience who are sitting <laughs> waiting for the Marvel panel to come up or something. You know, I don't know when it's actually going to be on it and when it's going to be shown but i'm wondering because a lot of those places in san diego don't clear out their areas and show premieres of tv shows that are coming up this is a very specific audience for this show um, and i'm one of that audience i highly defend this episode what i specifically love about it is we get two different insights leading into this world we get huey who's just a young kid who's finally embarking on a life leaving his home, moving in with his girlfriend. He's going off in this life and it's taken away from him instantly with a train running through his girlfriend. And then the second insight we have into it is Starlight realizing her dream, becoming the hero that she wanted to become. And that's instantly taken away from her by the deep uh, saying, pressuring her and saying she will never realize her dream if she doesn't do the one thing she never believed that she would need to do, given that she's been superpowered since she was born. Those two insights in the show are great starting points for a series that, 
is irreverent, as you say, but is trying to say something different than everything else we've seen and talked about in all of our superhero coverage. So I'm all on board for these, uh, this show, without a doubt. How about yourself, Chris? You're the big fan of the comics. What do you think the transfer was like for The Boys Season 1, Episode 1? Guys, I, I, I'm happy as uh, that most of the supers in the, the club. Um, <laughs> the, this, for me, was fantastic. Like I, I, I've talked about through a lot of this episode, I didn't think they would do some of the things that were in the comic books. Mm-hmm. I didn't think they would go as far. And I thought they would try and take the essence or anything. No, they've done exactly that. They've taken the scenes. They There's been some transfer... There's some tweaks, but when those tweaks occurred, they've taken the essence of what was needed. But for everything else, they've kept it. And I couldn't be happier. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm dying to see episode two. Um, As I said, I'm a passenger uh, playing as the episode ends. I was just humming along, and that's me now. I'm a passenger for this season. I just can't wait to see where they take me. Excellent, excellent. Yes, yeah, it's been a really good uh, starting to the series. So here we are at the end of episode one. Translucent Man is um, shocked on the floor of uh, of the electronics shop. The two boys that we've met so far are standing over him waiting to see what's going to happen. And overhead, the mayor of Baltimore has just been shot out of the sky by what we thought was the unimpeachable hero of the show. So everything is turned on its head for the next episode. We want to hear your thoughts, though. Send in your feedback as you watch the episodes. You can email us at feedback at tvpodcastindustry.com. You can leave voicemail for us over on our website at tvpodcastindustries.com or pop over to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash tvpodcastindustries. You can let us know your thoughts over there as well. Don't forget, we're also on Twitter at tvpodindustries. So if you want to follow us there and join in the conversation on any of our social channels so we hear your feedback and your thoughts of what you're thinking as you watch this show. Mm -hmm. As always, this is our first episode of a brand new podcast series. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. We should have our own feed for the boys on TV podcast industries that should be available by now, hopefully, up on Spotify and up on iTunes. If it's not, subscribe to us on TV podcast industries. You'll get all of our episodes. We're also covering Pennyworth at the moment, which is coming out each week. So interspersed between this, you'll also get an uber violent British show. (laughs) <laughs> so uh, loads of violence going on yeah and of course we've just finished Jessica Jones uh, season 3 as well uh, and now launching into the boys that's on Amazon Prime so of course you can check out all things Marvel Netflix as well on TV Podcast Industries mm-hmm. yes so we'll be back with our review of the boys episode 2 cherry I don't know what the cherry is they're talking about the cherry on top of the Sunday or some other cherry who knows? Maybe it's the uh, the very shrinking man's cherry. Uh, we'll, it's, we'll be back this weekend with that episode, so we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks so much for joining us. Talk to you again next time. As always, thank you so much for joining us. It is a pleasure speaking with you, boys, girls, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, yes, I'm off to nervously go to the bathroom, I think. Uh, hopefully Translucent Man's not in there being <laughs> a, a naughty boy. But once I'm back from the public conveniences, then uh, I will speak with you again soon. Bye.